Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the distinctly batty neighbor of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would give a hell of a lot to be able to magic up squashy armchairs at will. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? You have perfectly summarized my thoughts when I read that about, okay, I've discovered the spell I actually want to learn in real life. <laughs> no, no Leviosa, no, you know, charm on somebody else. Instant comfy armchair, that's got mileage right there. But... Is that something that you're willing to put up with if it is chintz every time? If it is what every time? It is It is a chintz pattern on the armchair. I think that yes. that's a proclivity specifically to Dumbledore. It could be to the spell. Like, we don't know. I assume this is a one-off, just like every other funky <laughs> spell that we get and we never, ever see again. BJ, also in answer to your question, you were in my house not that long ago. In what sense did you think we had any sense of, like, matching patterns around at any point as we go about things? Or that any it, furniture it, matched another bit of furniture? It is much... So that says a lot more about the the laziness to which you approach your furniture and not the desires if you were to put magical effort into said spell. I assure you that laziness and indifference are equal sides of the same coin. <laughs> Fair enough. So we do a podcast here. Um, We are not just argue about furniture patterns, (laughs) although we do both. I think there is a market for a separate podcast about that, but we're going to need a new title. Mm. Um, So we are here on the fifth book of Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. We are on chapter eight, The Hearing, or alternatively titled The Chapter in Which Things Finally Start to Happen. (laughs) So damn much waiting. (laughs) And we have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. Newbie's Notes with Spencer. Um, actually, we have Wizard Wheezes with BJ first. Yeah, then we have Newbie's but... Notes with Spencer. Uh, we have already talked about the squashy armchair, so unclear what BJ is going to talk about in his segment. <laughs> and uh, then there we award house points. And um, then there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles. All sorts of things. All sorts of things. What? So... What? Um, what? Before we get into any of those other segments, we need a bet from you, or just a guesstimate, as to how long this chapter is going to take to recap. And though it's the same length officially as the last one, it feels like three times as dense. Yes, it is. It's a. It it certainly is. Um, there are a couple of spots that are uh, breeze overable. <laughs> in sure assuming that someone will talk about them at some other point in this podcast. So I am going to put, I am going to put a bet. Oh. And I am going to put a bet at 152. You have been very determined to do stranger numbers this time. I really do appreciate (laughs) that. All right. 152 is the bet. I wish you the best of luck. The timer is ready when you are. Harry's hearing is in the same dungeon he saw in Dumbledore's Pensieve, which is an aggressive place to meet. Also aggressive, there are a lot of people there. After being berated for being late, he sits in a chair with chains. Y'all, the full wizengamut is there, and the whole thing is led by Cornelius Fudge, Fudge, Susan Bones, Dolores Umbridge, and Percy serving as secretary. But then, is that Dumbledore's music? Witness for the defense. Clearly the time change was meant to keep Dumbledore out. He arrived three hours early. On the off chance, Harry's actually feeling some hope now. 
Dumbledore conjures up an armchair and waits for things to begin. Fudge reads the charges and starts peppering Harry with questions that aren't really questions until Susan Bones finally breaks in to ask about Harry's Patronus. A real fully-fledged Patronus is pretty impressive at that age. Other witches and wizards seem to find it sort of suspicious. Harry finally gets out that he did it because of the Dementors, which apparently no one knew about. Fudge immediately tries to frame this as a lie, but Dumbledore indicates that there is, in fact, a witness. Not uh, Dudley, because muggles can't see Dementors, but Mrs. Fig. She toddles in, has to confirm that, yes, squibs can see Dementors, and then gives a pretty lackluster description of them. But she does get the story out, and Madame Bone seems, seems to believe her. Fudge can't believe that Dementors wandered into Little Winging. Dumbledore suggests that they were ordered there, and they would have been ordered there either on the Ministry say-so or someone else's, both bad options. And then Dolores Umbridge flutters in, and she's sort of indescribable in her defense of the Ministry. Dumbledore rounds the bases by confirming that the Ministry will launch a full inquiry into the Dementors, which sends Fudge apoplectic. Dumbledore finally gets to Clause 7 of the decree for the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery, and the back and forth between Fudge and Dumbledore is brutal. Fudge literally says, laws can be changed. We are getting a front row seat to the long-standing power struggle and deep philosophical differences between Fudge and Dumbledore. Finally, they go to a vote, and more than half vote for clearing Harry of all charges. Dumbledore who has not once looked at Harry throughout the proceeding, sweeps out of the room before Harry can talk to him. Well done. 154, 60. Yes. 90, sorry. Looking it upside down. <laughs> Numbers. Numbers. <clears throat> Just calcula. Um, we'll get there, though. So uh, there isn't much to wheeze about in this chapter. I mean, other than the, the furniture choices. Sure. Um, it, there a, are. It's a, it's a pretty tense courtroom drama version of Harry Potter. It's yes. it doesn't invite yes. the same kind of wheezing potential. One thing that I do want to note, which I'm very depressed about, is <laughs> it is per Percy Ignatius Weasley and not Weatherby. And oh. I, We've finally gotten his name right, it seems. The, the Weatherby is dead. Long live the Weasley. <laughs> which is very, very uh, unfortunate. Um, but Spencer, are, I'm going to have you read uh, a paragraph sentence, and this is very appropriate to you because we are handing down the charges, and it seems about what would be in a normal courtroom, but it is uh, a little bit goofy, um, just in general, because as we, uh, you know, always have, it's a paragraph sentence. Uh, okay. It starts, he extricated. I found it. Uh... He extricated a piece of parchment from the pile before him, comma, took a deep breath, comma, and read, comma, open quote, the charges against the accused are as follows, colon, that he did knowingly, comma, deliberately, comma, and in full awareness of the illegality of his actions, comma, having perceived a previous written warning from the Ministry of Magic on a similar charge, comma, produce a Protonus, a Protonus, blah, 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 Patronus charm in a Muggle-inhabited area, comma, in the presence of a Muggle, comma, on the August the 2nd at 20-3 minutes past 9, comma, which constitutes an offense under paragraph C of the decree for the reasonable restriction of underage sorcery, comma, 1875, comma, and also under section 13 of the International Confederation of the Wizards Statute of Secrecy. Period. My favorite thing about this is the only thing that you had trouble with was the spell name. Everything else was like rote memory for you, basically. At this point. That's all just legal shit. I'm reading that constantly. I've, um, I've, I've read charges before. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, so that thoroughly amused me. The other thing that I guess, you know, there's sort of things that, that I find interesting. I I feel like we knew this before, but I didn't remember 
maybe that it's Harry James Potter that that he does have his middle name named after his father, which is a little weird. Um, I'd forgotten about that if we knew. Yeah. That. Yeah. I feel like we knew it and I forgot it, but it's very possible that we didn't know because we also did not know about Ignatius. Um, we get a lot of middle names just thrown around here. Even middle, third, and fourth names at various points. Yes. Percival Wolfric Brian. Brian is just great. And I I have to say, I you know, I do try not to do too much of the movie stuff in in our chats here because we have not not yet experienced the movies together but in this scene in the movie Dumbledore in fact says Brian exactly like you said Brian Beecham <laughs> <laughs> like he's also surprised that one of his yes. middle names is Brian exactly Albus Percival Warford Brian Dumbledore <laughs> um so yeah a lot of uh thoroughly interesting things uh, I guess I, I'm going to put it in, in my wheezes, um, just because it seems like an appropriate place. Uh, a couple of things. One, we have a hilarious number of M dashes, but I didn't count here. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like a thing to note. Um, now that we're back in, in the main stuff, the, the editor can no longer make comments about the, uh, the punctuation. It's only when we <laughs> actually don't have plot that it's like, all right, hold up. Like, this isn't real story. You, you you need to tighten this up. You can do one or the other, but you are not allowed yeah. to do both. Exactly. Is, is the editor just getting too excited in the story to pay attention to anything else? Very possibly. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's a, a, a Wheel of Time problem. Um, oh, God. Yeah. I don't know who uh, J.K. Rowling's editor is, but I'm guessing it's not her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 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 And... The last thing I will mention now, because it, your response always entertains me, Dolores Umbridge is going to be one of the most uh, targeted red yarn string character well, yes. I think that we are going to have right. in this book. Big ass seen, red yarn. Having seen an image of this character before, I'm guessing in the movie, it's going to be pastel pink yarn, I think, but it's going it's to yes. be on the board. Pastel pink, fluffy, is she, and is she possibly played by hiding Nurse barbed Ratchet? wire in the middle of it. <laughs> is she played by Nurse Ratchet? <laughs> she, sure, she, yes. yeah, close enough. I th- is it is it or is it not? It's not. I don't think it's literally the actress that played Nurse Ratchet. Okay. But sh- shall I go into newbie's notes? Yes. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Well, on the first point, I really love organizations that just openly acknowledge by means of ambiance that they are evil and just own it. And the fact that Wizengamut is just straight up channeling medieval Inquisition vibes, just, I appreciate that kind of display of authenticity of where we've got straight up burning torches on the wall and we've got all matching audit of robes looking over you right now. We just want to let you know what this is when you walk in. In, in darkness and secrecy. Yes. yes. One of the things that I do really love about this, though, is that Susan Bones is exactly how Mr. Weasley described her. Yeah, absolutely. She's perfectly reasonable, seems kind of cool, and is fine. She she would have been the perfect administrative judge to resolve what is purely just meant to be an administrative hearing. Mm -hmm. She could have done it just fine, gotten it done accurately, going through the facts in detail and keeping very accurate notes. Instead, we get all the pomp and circumstance of a proper witch trial. And also, super interesting, we either get a straight-up lie from Fudge or a change in 
the uh, universe, like the Harry Potter universe about how owls work, or at least how we understand owls to work. Because for the most part, up until now, we've sort of taken it and it's been in like the, the it's been consistently that owls can find people. Like mm-hmm. you don't, they don't get sent to a place. They get sent to a person, and an owl can find them within a certain amount of time. Like that's not super clear. Mm-hmm. So either Fudge is lying, or basically lying. It's like we didn't. We sent you an owl this morning, and we literally released it two minutes before we're convening. So technically, I can say we sent you an owl, but we didn't really send you an owl. Or it's an in-universe change, and. I think it's the former. Uh, uh, that's my stance. Particularly since he says the exact same thing to both Harry and Dumbledore. This is like, this is an excuse for the record rather than something to be actually believed. Uh, that's the way it feels, but I would guess that either that, that no one else at, in the courtroom has to know about what happened. This is just like something essentially, I would bet, between him and Percy. Probably. Yes, yeah, Probably, I, be- yeah. I believe that's true. Because I think that we do get you know, a fair amount of evidence that there are that there are good actors in the room, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That we're not, like, it, this is not just a court full of evil people plotting and scheming, that most people just showed up to work and are kind of as confused as everybody else about yeah. why this is happening. Yep. It seems like that's, like, a 60, 50 to 60% of mm-hmm. people are just showing up to work and are perfectly reasonable, and then... There's like the dozen or so that are toadies. Yes, toadies are evil. Un- unclear. <laughs> they, yeah. they can be evil toadies. They're not exclusive. And, sure, I, you know. And then there's a whole bunch of people that want to sort of slide under the radar being evil because I feel like not voting, which this clearly happened, mm-hmm. and you might get to, like, is a a really questionable thing going on. It seems like, say, maybe 55, 60% vote in Harry's favor, and then, like, six people vote against him. So we've still got, like, 15 people that are just sitting there. Yeah. Maybe they're just mad to be there as well. <laughs> they, they haven't had their coffee. They're actually asleep in the back row. They're just, it, yeah, it happens. Asleep in the back row, protesting the whole process. Yeah. Who cares? Maybe. I mean, it's telling early on how serious this situation is or how much, you know, Fudge is trying to make it serious that he's not wearing his green bowler hat. Yes. The always incongruous green bowler hat is absent, which should really tell Harry early on, oh shit, things back get real. (laughs) Um, Um, The other interesting thing, I don't know if you're about to mention it, is the chair. uh, I wasn't wasn't going. The the chains on the chair that are actively, like, wanting to shackle somebody. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we saw these at work in the Pensieve. Exactly. Right. Um, we, we saw them at work, but I don't remember if we saw them, like, that it was a semi-sentient item. Which... I don't remember either, because it might have, we might have gotten it like it was somebody cast. I think it was Crouch remember. Jr. that was, like, in the chair mm-hmm. already. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, again, I sort of feel like I have to wonder... Like what sentient things are doing and how powerful they are mm-hmm. um, as just like a thing in the world. Because like presumably the chair is responding to something that's going on and maybe making its own decisions, which is a little weird. Creepy as hell if that's the case, yeah. 
it certainly fits the ambiance. I mean, this is a half step removed from just keeping the keeping the person who's there on trial in an Iron Maiden. We're very much fitting in the medieval medieval semi torture themes that were you know that the the general ambiance represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy being a traitor did not catch me necessarily off guard. He's really doubled down to what his particular chosen life choices want to be. Did we know that he was Fudge's assistant? I couldn't remember that for certain. I don't think yeah. we got... Did we, did we get that explicitly? He, I, we, he was super excited to be Fudge's assistant when uh, when no one was around and was kind of like... He, he, well, no, he was. It wasn't Fudge's assistant. He was filling in for the guy that was absent, wasn't he? Barty Crouch. He was filling in for. Yeah, that's right. No, you're so, right. So it, I don't this... think because and, I, and the reason I don't think we had that is because of this rift between the rest of the Weasleys and Percy. We right. haven't really gotten any details about him at all. Yeah, right. The, the and tr- that seems like something that Mr. Weasley knows. Oh yeah. And just doesn't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But also, what Spencer like. How is he a traitor? Well, it depends on what you want to represent about what principles he chooses to stand for. At least early on, he seemed to be a guy that actually believed in the rules, that believed in the justice of his position, that actually wanted to not just progress his own power, but actually believed in the institution. Now it seems that he's just kind of cravenly committed himself for the purpose of his own advancement and just abandoned any kind of ethics that are attached to that. And there's a certain degree of just kind of sadness in that, that he has become so craven as to dedicate himself to... This furthers me, I say this, regardless of who it hurts, regardless of anything else associated with it. So it makes him perfect as Fudge's assistant, because that seems to be what Fudge represents as just the consummate <laughs> politician. But it's it it feels th- this is the downward spiral of Percy. Percy has never been quite at this this just level of cravenness. So I fully support the Percy is evil. Uh you always have. I always have. Where where do we have him doing evil things in this chapter? Like, I, he's, he's the one person in the, world, in the room that seems, well, that we can verify seems to be loyal to Fudge's efforts and is presiding over the hearing. And as you noted, he's probably the guy that is or is not sending the owls or collect, writing in the record that the owls were sent. So yeah. it, it's, it's not explicitly said, but the fact that he's adopting the role as Fudge's assistant kind of implies a lot. I mean... Right now, he's just court reporter, so I love that we're reading this into him, but, like, I, I can't remember anything, like, the evil that he actually did. I mean, I, like, again, I fully agree, I fully support this, I just don't think it's in the text, and I what? feel like we, sh- we should let our listeners know that we're all supporting the Percy's evil train. I, I, I mean, th- this is like at the level of where you walk into a room and a guy's wearing just a full-on SS outfit. He doesn't have to open his mouth. I already have presumptions about him. Percy's given me that category of vibes. I Percy is giving me the vibes of someone who I would walk in the room and quite simply not notice he was there. <laughs> oh, man, that would hurt him more than anything else. He's, he's clearly... He is enjoying his power. He is enjoying this, you know, level of... His name's in the record. This is a recorded hearing. It's going to be written down that he read the charges in. That's true. Um, but I also don't think he's in actually in the Wizen gamut. No, so, he is not. No, he's not like, he's, not, he's not even a voting against... Like, again, I feel like I, I we have to ascribe the actual evil deeds that actually go on appropriately. It, it, but it, Percy, it, Percy is uh, Renfield evil right now. 
at a certain point we're assessing the Eichmann principles of evil. Is the fact that yes. he's, is the fact that he's voluntarily following orders of a corrupt, unprincipled man bleed onto him? I think so because he's here and proud the hell of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Do we want to believe that Dumbledore was purposely waiting outside for the ideal moment to jump in as a surprise witness? Because I don't believe that he just showed up right then at that magical moment. No, I believe that he arrived three hours early, found some, like, house elf working to clean the ministry to talk to, Mm -hmm. maybe looked at some paintings down in the dungeon, um... Yeah, he he knew before Fudge knew that the that the hearing was going to occur here, and he's just been hiding in an alcove until the precise dramatic moment to reappear. I mean, isn't there a quote from a mediocre uh, fantasy series about that? I'm not going to even let you finish the thought because I actually know where you're going, so I'm going to move on. Um, I'm actually, Sarah, you were in some Dumbledore ways... arrived at the right time because he's a wizard. Yes, shut the hell up. Um, so. <laughs> I'm actually, Sarah, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on Fudge's questioning of Harry. Mm. His questioning of Harry at the start of the hearing is precise what attorneys are trained to do for that kind of questioning on on, on cross-examination. Of where they are declarative statements, they are very simple, they have strict yes-no answers, and they are designed to for you to give answers that sink your own case. And every one of the questions he asks has a yes answer, and every one of them hits the necessary elements of the standard to get Harry convicted. He's well, not and that's why I call them not real questions, right? Because they are not, um, the, they yes, are the they have answers that, to them, but they are not questions that are that are designed to elicit real responses. They are prosecutor questions. Their yes. design is to win a case. Their design is to meet the elements of a test. It's not to inform the truth. The truth is irrelevant. What matters is step A, B, C, D, E. Thank you for saying yes to all of them. Which is super interesting that... They, they must have cooked this up, like, and not told Harry for some reason. And it's also interesting that the one person who should have had a long conversation with Harry before this didn't is kind of a weird thing. And I guess maybe they didn't know, uh, which is Hermione looking into the rules of the Wizengamot and, like, all of the things that Harry could have there and what rights he has seems like maybe not a misstep but like uh earlier books harry potter i mean i don't i don't know because like the point is that this hearing happening in this way is so outside the bounds of what anyone would ever expect to happen that there like there just isn't a preparation for this and we get this is a little spoilery but we get it we get how like completely batshit this is at the beginning of the next chapter um, it's one of the things I think Dumbledore lays out pretty well is that this isn't even meeting the standards of a wizen gamut. The fact we're having a wizen gamut is already just entirely inappropriate. But this isn't even meeting the necessary burdens of proof and rights to witnesses and rights to testimony with respect to that. I mean, the, the well, not, not so much meeting it as just like I think it's it's relying on the presumed knowledge of how things work, which, to be fair is how laws work in the U.S. I mean, Dumbledore straight up calls out Fudge at several moments saying, that's not the law. That's not how this proceeding works. That's mm-hmm. not the test for what we're doing here. And Fudge just keeps on saying, I want this done quickly. Yeah. Well, so I think that was much more in reference to, like, he, so Fudge started going off on things that Harry did at Hogwarts and 
Dumbledore says, well, you can't bother him about those. And he's like, well, we could change those rules. He does get that particularly at the end. But we also get steps before that procedurally of like, you know, uh, we don't have time for witnesses. I think he has a time for witnesses to testify in his defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we don't have have time to discuss that witness again. We have a right to recall her. She's right outside. She can easily clarify her testimony. He does several moments of that of where, okay, I've read the rules of procedure for how these cases go down. Have you? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with respect to that, we get several interesting things about squibs that are just kind of thrown into the middle of this chapter that really just says squibs aren't even second class citizens in this society. Yeah. I mean, the fact that muggles can't seem dementors, I think we've heard that before, and I think we saw that straight up with the cousin anyway, so mm-hmm. yeah. it's not too much a surprise. The fact that squibs maybe can't is interesting, but the fact that Fudge doesn't know is even more interesting. Yeah, squibs are so much of a non-entity that Fudge seems kind of taken aback that one has entered into the into the dungeon in the first place. It, it's like, they merit so little that... They don't even have to be registered. We get that little offhand line about, nah, mm-hmm. we don't even keep, really keep records about what they're doing in society, about pay taxes, vote, any of that shit. Hey, you know, they, they, they're around. This is like reaching levels of the untouchable level of a caste system in terms yeah. of what squibs are going through. But I think it makes a lot of sense. It does, mm-hmm. but it just further reminds me how horrible this society is. Well, like, I think horrible... Yes, to a certain extent, but the other extent is I wonder if squibs are more uncomfortable for parents um, than yes. than just regular wizards because it's just sure. like... Yeah. It, it's, from, that, from that perspective, it's like having a disabled child in some ways. Yeah. And all, and all, and all of the unfortunate unco- discomfort that happens with that particular concept. Um, um, and, and, and then, I mean... To be fair, the other side of that is, Spencer, you're basically saying we should research these disabled children and see how they interact with the magical world, maybe against their will, maybe not, and register it, register it, them and, and write down their parentage. Okay, I have to believe that somebody has asked a squib at some point in the past, can you see this Dementor here? Yes, yes or no? That has to have come up at some point. No, I, if it I, hasn't... I, I feel like up until super recently, they left squibs at monasteries. Like, <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm with you on that point. Um, so, so like, in, unless they're doing really creepy research with squib children, they're not going to know this. And it's only more recent that you know having an accepted place for squibs, kind of in in the world of, well, you'll be sort of part of things, and maybe we'll let you be a janitor uh so i'm also on the squib wiki so squibs are super rare first and foremost um but there was one family um led by thaddeus thurkel who had seven sons who were all squibs which is where like a lot of current day squibs have kind of come through that line Mm. well i mean on that point should we believe from her testimony that Mrs. Fig is lying about her ability to see Dementors? Because they kind of give us evidence going both ways, but I'm leaning towards she actually couldn't see them. I mean, Harry calls her out. It seemed like she's almost just reading the back of a book jacket description of what a Dementor looks like and gets several of the details possibly wrong in her testimony. Otherwise, she's just nervous. But she does accurately portray the feeling of a Dementor 
but a muggle would have the same feeling in terms of what they experience. Two things. Yeah. yeah. One, um, Spencer, give me a little primer on uh, the accuracy of eyewitness ter- testimony. It sucks. <laughs> Thank you. That was what I was looking for. Um, and the second is, I thought that there was sort of a sense of Squibs had maybe at least varying degrees of like interaction with magic. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the like they can sort of see things, but it's not super clear. That, um, that might be, yeah, that might be a good kind of distinction to draw here. That's having the difference. I, 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 th- I think that's a fair point. What, what I thought was kind of revealing was her word choice, though, with the last question she's asked, of where I think it's Bones asks her, that's what you saw? And her response is very precise. It's, that's what happened. Doesn't answer the question that's, that's asked. Yeah. She says, that is what happened. And that felt like a very precise word choice with respect to her. And, you know... It is what happened, and her feeling of what one felt around Dementors could be perfectly accurate. I said, muggles can feel that too. The fact she didn't literally see it necessarily, or if you're noting, didn't see it clearly, doesn't interfere with the accuracy of her testimony. But it, again, highlights the fact that she's able to offer this testimony, and apparently, not just fudge, no one in the room, at least in the Wizengamut, knows whether she's perjuring herself or not right now, because they don't have that information about squibs. Uh... Fudge has completed the transition from what... Like, let's remember Fudge, I think he, we saw him in book one or book two, was pretty much the doddering, kindly, semi-incompetent grandfather figure to Harry. He seemed to care for him, he seemed to always be checking on him, mostly for politics, but it, it felt at least somewhat authentic. He it mostly came across as being ineffectual rather than directly dangerous or possibly harmful. Now, Sarah, as you said, we get a guy on the top of a, a, an Inquisition panel... Wearing matching robes of the wizen gamut, which sounds evil as hell anyway, saying on the record, presumably, laws can be changed when he's called out for the fact he's not following the law. Yeah. So, is the head of the wizen gamut called the Grand Wizard? <laughs> mm hmm. I'm with this. Yeah, I'd support that. Uh, no, but. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, JK Rowling. But vibes. <laughs> Uh, but it, it it really paints such an interesting picture of him, of where he comes across as being simultaneously still exceptionally weak and ineffectual, mm-hmm. massive chip on his shoulder, constantly trying to prove himself and failing in any effort, but in some ways seems even more threatening because of that fact, because it adds an element of instability to him. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to say, is what's so interesting about Fudge in this chapter is just how volatile he actually is. Um, I mean, he's he's out of control in this oh, yeah. chapter. He is angry. He is yelling. He is bouncing between moments, just like a ping pong ball in a, in a dryer. It's this is a guy that is no longer just simply on tilt. He's completely busted out of the pinball machine. So, what's what do you think the end game for for him is? I don't like, think he's thinking about tomorrow. I don't think he has a long term plan. I think it's just endure. So, Stay in power now. Mm-hmm. Right, but I don't know. There, there's part of me that thinks that he could actually be evil. And the early attempts to tempt Harry away from the straight and narrow, from Dumbledore's influence, didn't work. Uh, with basically, you know, offers here and there to, you know, maybe not do the right thing a little bit. I mean, they weren't like 
serious overtures yet, but if he gets expelled and wants to practice magic, well, there is a uh, a patron of said things that, that might, you know, provide him a lot of cover if, you know, he's willing to turn. And not under, under Dumbledore's umbrella is either a death or a turning. And I don't know that Fudge cares which way, but I think that there, this could be a man on like mid to bottom of that totem pole where the Malfoys and sort of all of those other marked individuals are, are a little bit higher up and so know a little bit more. And he's basically, you know, if you want to stay in power, have the backing of these powerful families, like, here's what we're going to work on doing. And so here's what you need to do. But he's surrounded by, you know, 55% of just normal people. So now it's getting out of hand because Dumbledore just walked in and went like that, basically put his his meaty hand on some scales, um, which is the the emotions I was making. And now they're tipping in Harry Potter's favor. I truly love that Dumbledore walks in the room and he's got literal fangirls in the wizard game at the time. Yes. Giving him little waves and cheers as he walks in. Yeah. I so I think I think that it is it is entirely possible, BJ, to your point that um that, you know, Fudge might turn out turn out evil, like actually evil in the end of this. But I do think to go back to your earlier point about if we if we are really just looking at what is in the text here, I think that what we have in this chapter and really the evidence that we've had before now is that uh, maybe there's some evil intent there, but what we really, really see is ambitious, power-hungry, bureaucrat, um, and willing to wield that power, but from, from a place of fear. Um, and I don't but know if- that we see enough... Um, like, I just don't get vibes that he is actually evil. I guess I don't get vibes that he's actually evil, but, like, what he's doing doesn't make sense to me. Like, what power is he actually wielding here? Because, let's say Dumbledore doesn't show up. Like, what, who, who is he showing that he has power over other than a 15-year-old child? Well, a 15-year-old child who just came out of the Triwizard Tournament claiming that Voldemort had returned, who is a major threat to Cornelius Fudge's power because it's a threat to the peace and stability that he claims to have built through his regime. Right, but but if he does, like, I guess I just don't see, like, having him expelled change that. It, decre- like, it's, it discredits him. If, he, if, if Harry Potter is discredited in the eyes of the wizarding communi- community, then Cornelius Fudge can continue on doing the status quo. Which is all he wants to do. Cornelius Fudge is, in my mind, the, you know that, that meme of the dog in the burning room just saying, this, this is, is, this is all fun. Yeah. yeah. This is a guy that exists by everything being normal and wants the world to run on bread and circuses and yeah. everybody else to just be fine with that. Harry is the most destabilizing element he could ever have possible in that scenario, in that story. His mere existence defeats that ability to occur. Now, the reality and, is, of course, that, like, Voldemort has returned, and so Cornelius Fudge is not fucked. not sustainable. But yeah. right. it do- that I, doesn't matter to him right, right now. Right, but he's, I feel like sentencing but, Harry to Hogwarts is sort of a better option. Like, I guess, you know, unless Harry is being sent to Azkaban or something, you're taking away his wand, which he doesn't need to do magic, and basically saying... Well, he does, he does to do magic that he directs 
he can't just go around casting spells without a wand. Mm, okay. When have you seen him cast a specific spell without a wand? He's never cast a spell without a wand, and I, I guess it's there's nothing in fiction that we have so far that that wands are necessary for casting spells. It's sort of for directing spells, maybe. Like, I don't know. I mean, on your point, I very much agree that what Fudge is doing just—it seems like he's rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic. It it has no point whatsoever. But it, from his perspective, it give, if it gives him another day of power, if it gives him another day in this role where everyone just thinks everything is fine, it's worth it. Other thing I think we're leaving out of possibly what's motivating Fudge is one of the lines that he just so petulantly says to Dumbledore, of where it's not for you to decide what the Ministry of Magic does or does not do, Dumbledore. Yes. That, does that just scream second son syndrome, really? This is a yes. guy that feels like he is always the second banana to this guy, even when he's the most powerful guy officially in the land. And is desperately trying to prove himself in a world of where Dumbledore is the superhero and he's barely the, the chief of police. And I and, guess, like, hmm? I think the best thing to have done is call Dumbledore up and, and be like, you're not impressing your on your students that they're not allowed to do magic. And and have like a completely different thing, but like again, I mean, Fudge isn't the the brightest penny in the jar. So yeah, I mean, the, you're absolutely right. Like compounded on all of this is the fact that Fudge is an idiot. So yeah, yeah. As as demonstrated by his responses to Dumbledore's defense testimony, which again is on point. This guy is reframing the narrative. He's focusing on what the actual nature and scope of what we're here for is. He's dismissing all the evidence that's irrelevant to actually what the court has to decide. And in response to this, Crouch is, I mean, um, Fudge is basically just flailing. He's yeah. just bouncing around between different points, having not pondered in any way what the response to those is going to be, getting himself constantly in new traps and having to dismiss the thing that he just said that was relevant because it's leading him down to a more negative way. Yeah. It, it, and it's not a good look. I think it'd be more interesting if he were evil, but, you know, the, the, uh, Simpsons law or whatever never attribute to malice that which can easily be explained by incompetence. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I agree that's probably what we're seeing, but like, it would make much more sense as a motivation if he were evil. But it probably is just he's incompetent and kind of like, I don't know how how the British like to portray their government. You fail upwards. Hmm. Yes, he has yeah. fallen into power and now would like to not lose it. Thank you. The Peter Principle. Um, <laughs> It, it, it's interesting also that in Dumbledore's testimony, the one thing that sets him off, and I'm guessing it's because there's been a lot of tension between the two characters on this subject, is uh, the idea that Crouch has, uh, Fudge has no authority to punish anybody at, Ho at Hogwarts. Yes. Because that's Dumbledore's complete domain. And the fact that Fudge kind of pushes Dumbledore on that is the one thing that Harry notes, and Dumbledore sounded cool in his response to that question or whatever else. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like this has been an issue of extreme tension between the two, and we've even seen before that they've been butting heads on this topic, and that's only going to get worse over time. Yeah, Fudge would like to have so much more influence at Hogwarts than sure. than he does, um, and it really irks him that he does not. I mean, and even though Harry wins here and wins pretty decisively, other than BJ's complaints about you know free rider jurors that aren't voting on anything, <laughs> um, I can't believe that this is going to in any way reduce tension. If anything. Dumbledore won by just salting the earth. Dumbledore won by straight up saying, yeah, there's one of two possibilities here. Either A, we've got rogue Dementors, or B, somebody in the ministry is sending Dementors to assassinate people. 
Those are the two scenarios you have painted to explain the current the current events before us. And I'm just going to give you that, and we're going to walk out of the room because I proved my case. Mm-hmm. Have fun. The fact that that is now thrown out there in the world, the fact that the Wizen Gamut itself has been recalled under these particular terms, the fact that six wizards voted to exile Harry despite the evidence before them, there's no way this doesn't have repercussions and ripples. There's no way that this is just not going to fester him to even worse bad blood and greater tensions going forward. Harry won the battle. The war is still very much out there, and we now kind of know what the campaign being fought is. So... The last time Harry interacted with a Dementor was kind of on Hogwarts grounds. Mm-hmm. The question that I, I guess I'm posing not for questions, but more to talk about newbie's notes mm-hmm. is, do we think that that Dementor was following orders? That, that's kind of the question Dumbledore is wanting to put out there, is that are they acting of their own free will, in which case that's terrifying, or are they receiving orders from someone, in which case that's probably even more terrifying. Right. I mean, I guess it's if we assume that they receive orders, Mm -hmm. like, let's just make that an assumption because it'd be weird to have it not like at least direction. Sure. Because otherwise, you know, this seems like a weird place to have it. Do we think that the direction that they got was a sleuthly interpreted or well interpreted Ministry of Magic? Or do we think that it was Dumbledore's touch on the world? Or not Dumbledore, Voldemort. Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Dumbledore straight up throwing out the idea that it's Voldemort for a while. He, he's been yeah. throwing that out since the Pensieve in terms of background. Yeah. Um, so I don't see any reason to doubt Dumbledore on this point. Uh, that's really all I have other than I just have Umbridge highlighted and underlined <laughs> like six times. Because uh-huh. even I know that this is a character that's going to come back again. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if you've ever been on Reddit ever on like an ask reddit question of who is the literal worst character of all time (laughs) Dolores umbridge is the top response always Always. and forever so i I can't avoid that and her image has been more than a few internet memes i know what she looks like in the films i know she's apparently evil as all shit i just don't know how that's going to express itself yeah Yeah. we still we still got to get there but uh before we get there Sarah, who wins, who loses this chapter? You've got more options, I think, than the last one. Yes, more options, but I do think, and I guess we can talk about whatever whatever we want, but Harry has to win this chapter. I, I, I'm with you. I mean, he, he he went from a stage where he thought he was going in front of the Wizen Gamut just entirely solo with no hope in hell to having Dumbledore as his ally and correctly getting events spun immediately in his favor. Yes. I mean, I realize that this is like a tough chapter and Dumbledore is being weird, but Harry wins this chapter. I was going to say, the only reason I'm not fighting for Dumbledore is everything that he said was boring (laughs) and... Purposefully. Factually correct. Keep it as boring and straightforward as possible. Make yeah. So I, like I would almost person. have him as the loser of the chapter because <laughs> this is like a necessary evil that Dumbledore had to put up with. This was an annoyance in Dumbledore's day. Yes. This is again why he did his impressive entrance because he knew that was the only moment he was going to be happy with this whatsoever. He did, yes. yes, he did at least get to sit in a squashy armchair while he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really though, Cornelius... Dear oh, Cornelius. Yeah. Loser. 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 Oof. I mean, he, he exists to be a loser, and yet he still found new realms below himself to explore. To be so thoroughly routed before 
the entire wizard wizen gamut. And even more than that, to lose his cool in such a truly bizarre way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just pathetic. Like, the whole thing was pathetic. Even the hearing itself is pathetic. Yes. He, he, the moment that he yes. was aspiring to, the moment he was building him up, building himself off to, the moment he was going to be on the stage and power before everything else, is the equivalent of taking candy from a baby. He was looking to overpunish a kid. Yep. Oh God, that that's going to look great in the historical annals. Yeah, yeah. So we did have a lot of characters who did a lot of things here, but I think that this is a pretty pretty clear cut chapter on winners and losers. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Questions that I can I've answer? Got, <laughs> I've got a couple, but I'm really inclined, if you don't mind, to kind of save them for the next chapter. Because I'm assuming the next chapter is going to, in some ways, unpack some of the shit we just saw. Okay. Do you want to at least throw the questions out there, and then we can return to them? Uh, okay. Uh, to what degree? I mean, to what degree did the procedures we saw before us differ to either a significant or exceptional degree from how the wizen gamut is actually supposed to go. Okay. So we've only seen before a limited kind of view through the Pensieve, and that was under very much wartime vibes. So I don't. Is a wizen gamut even something that's supposed to exist under normal times, or is it a, a, a creature of necessity, a creature of exceptional events? Mm-hmm. We do get a hint about that because they talk about criminal and non-criminal proceedings for the wizen gamut. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, are those who are sitting on the wizen gamut informed in advance as to what they're going to hear? Because we have at several moments that they seem surprised by what would be very basic evidence that's being presented before them. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bones is caught off guard at the idea there were Dementors there? What? I mean, but to be fair, the trial was supposed to be to start and end with Harry saying yes a bunch of times and Fudge presenting with a verdict. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's interesting that ju- justice is blind, but usually everything's submitted in advance. <laughs> Doesn't seem like that's how that works here. Are the robes conjured? <laughs> the robes for the wizen gamut? Yep. Um, that's a good question. Maybe. Maybe they just appear on you when you walk through the door. I I could also imagine there being like chairs with empty robes that you sat kind of like nestle into, and <laughs> they just it, come like, up. Yes, it's a I would mantle actually, that, that. I would also like to have that spell so that I could just keep a sweater at my desk. Um. <laughs> I, I don't want a sentient snuggie. I don't want a snuggie <laughs> that decides when it wants to be on me. Thank you. Also, uh, sort of fair. I mean, that isn't that the uh, the cloak that we had in the, uh, the attacked Rom? the black house. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh that, yeah, we have seen this, and it's terrifying. It Never is. mind. Are the members of the Wizen Gamut fixed? Because I think Dumbledore straight up said, I used to be on it. Yeah, I'm going to have to... I want to do a little bit of research about the Wizen Gamut and get back on it next episode. Because I'm actually not sure if this is like a different body than members of the Ministry. Let me read about that a little bit and we can kind of talk about it next time around. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of other interesting things that I don't... Don't know if there would be spoilers or not, but, like, this seems like a body that could have started in, like, the 1300s, mm-hmm. you know, around when Godric was around. But this also seems like a thing that they could have come up with as, like, a The Hague. Yeah. Um, this isn't even mixed between The Hague and a body that's decided that there are way too many Jews and Muslims in Spain right now. Mm-hmm. It's bouncing between the two of those. Yeah. 
I will I will do a little um a little pricey on the wizen gamut next time around. Okay. Well, I, I will look forward to that then because that's most of my questions. Then. Yeah, and again, I, I will have a few of these that I will happily, if you will allow me, reiterate at the end of the next chapter. Once Please. we have yeah. Dumbledore himself, maybe, possibly, I know it's contrary to his nature, actually answer some questions about what the <laughs> hell just happened. But uh, my, me having turned off my phone, Sarah, what is the next chapter we're going through? Uh, the next chapter is uh, so chapter nine, The Woes of the Mrs. Woes. Weasley. Yes. What in the I, I recognize the three the three humanoids that are in the background, but what is that before us? It's a seal and a letter of some kind, or a it's crest. A P. It's a big it's a, P. It's a big P, but is it like a crest that arrived by letter? And it what? sort of looks like a dog trying to itch itself, but I think it's <laughs> probably a lion. I I will not be able to see this as other than a dog itching himself now. <laughs> That's just my image. <laughs> But yeah, this was a this was a really fun chapter. This was a fun you know culmination of what this book has been building towards in terms of the tension. And, you know, it's kind of, as a lawyer, it's kind of fun to see you know a courtroom drama in the middle of Harry Potter. Maybe yeah. I'll get more of these. We we but. will see. Um, but thank you all for for doing this with me. Yeah, looking forward to the next one. All right, bye guys. <laughs>